Welcome to Catholic Stuff You Should Know, a J10 initiative. We're yodeling here. We got uh, Father John Clockman in the house. Father, and he's, he's got his best, <laughs> sharpest Aust- Austrian? Austrian. I was about to say Australian. He's looking very good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Looking good, looking yep. sharp. So, this is uh, Catholic stuff uh, you should know. Father Mike, Father John here in hey, Rome. Hey. And uh, by the time this podcast comes, you know, for the first time in probably seven years, we are like ahead. In our in our scheduling. Oh, that's you know? good. So this is going to be roughly. We're always trying to keep up. Thanksgiving, where we're going to be where for Thanksgiving. Turkey, turkey. Istanbul. <laughs> eat turkey, eating turkey. We were going to go to Marrakesh, and then we found out it was Marrakesh. <laughs> yeah, you like that? Come on. <laughs> but yeah. uh, Brian, Father Brian Graby, um, who I was looking up uh, his friends. Father Brian Graby is uh, our uh, priest friend here, and. He does not listen to the podcast, but he like accidentally promotes it like crazy. And uh, a wonderful, a wonderful priest from New York. Right? I, is it the diocese in New York? See, I That's always get the, these wrong. The Archdiocese of New York. The Archdiocese the, of New York. Yeah, oh yeah, exactly. Sometimes I ask them if they're from Brooklyn, and then they look at me like, "Oh, in their did def- you just say that?" In their defense, though, they they do cover like a lot of the state. You know, they yeah, kind of go yeah, up. Yeah, so. yeah. But uh, yes, he, when we were uh, out there in Syracuse, he saved us from going to Marrakesh. He refer- his brother, actually, his brother listens to the podcast. And uh, this guy is an incredible like tour guide master. He knew all these places and exactly what to tell us about. He was like, you need to get an Airbnb. What you need to this. see where you go. Absolutely. I was just looking for that nice email from the couple he married this summer, um, who are also music lawyers, and uh, gave us some good counsel. But I can't find it. So, and I think songwriters too. Songwriters. Yeah, wow. we should have them right. Those New Yorkans, they're so, so hip. hip. They probably live in Brooklyn. Um, yeah, so we got uh, <laughs> we got to kind of limit the banter uh, because we got Clockman here on deck. This oh, Father John be, Clockman, you people he's don't, a wonderful you don't, even, talker. you don't even realize what you're about to. And I'm looking; he's buried in books and notes right now. And I'm like, <laughs> you have 23 minutes to give what you would typically do in two hours, and uh, this is going to be wild. He's going to present on the eight evil thoughts. I think we're going to get about one point five of the thoughts. This is the this is the guy who at the uh, Archbishop Flynn Institute gave a talk on the four marks of the church, and in two hours, I was so excited. About did one? First mark. He did one mark. Hold on, they can't hear you. You don't have the mic yet. I'll give him the mic in a second. But the uh, he did the unity of the church. I know it's killing you. You want that mic? I know so he's bad. ready. I want that mic so he's bad. He's ready. The uh, that's the sanguine. It's the sanguine. He's ready to talk. Well, tomorrow we get to meet Patrick J. Carter. That's pretty exciting. This guy is famous now. Goebbels man crush from yeah the last month. He uh, sounds like a great guy. Out just like yeah, an outstanding, did you, did you outstanding catch, citizen. Listener, listener, land. Did you catch that uh, shout out? That oh, was amazing. Man. He was yeah. shooting Roman candles for <laughs> Patrick's sister or something. Um, I don't know. It was uh, the outrageous. question is where did that come from? You know, and psychologically, I mean, just I, I feel like you, you could do a master's thesis on that thing just like just examining oh, that yeah. two minutes of the podcast and at the i you know Institute there's something for Psychological about inspiration Sciences. where they say these like actors or these artists they just get like overtaken with their right. own creativity or something that happens and they're just going off well i speaking of that i've been uh writing you know writing this tasina this l- quote little thesis which is 100 150 pages here, oh, he's been I, very faithful I, oh gosh i Putting asked the guys the time. i asked the guys at dinner tonight i said what's the secret to like having longevity and enjoying your life while you're writing because these guys are doing dissertations and mm-hmm. they 
kind of gave him things. And then Joe, Joe Chapel, Monsignor Joe Chapel, who we love, our spiritual director, said, well, I'd usually get depressed and kind of burned out. And then I'd hit this like manic 72-hour phase and uh, come up with the most unbelievably profound and creative things and then crash again for another month. And I was like, that sounds oh, like Father yes. Mike. <laughs> I was going like, <laughs> to say, that does not sound like your system. Uh, no, not Father at all. Father John, he puts in the hours every day. He's very it. faithful. He's oh. very steady. But that yeah, that sounds oh, a lot gosh. like me. It was so funny. I was like, and you can't predict that at all. You just have to wait for it. But when the muse let comes, the, let the stress just, build you or the depression, I guess. Yeah. Oh yeah. So, well, let's do this. Let's hand off that mic. All right, you come Father over John. here. We're gonna we're gonna go back and forth, and uh, but we got we got. Uh, yeah, you want to talk right into that guy? There you go. Like right like this. There you go. You got it. How's my Barry White voice? It's great. Hey, ladies. <laughs> uh, I, I want to tell him a funny story about your hair. Uh, ah. <laughs> <laughs> so we, uh, when I was uh, I was 19 years old, um, and. Uh, the uh, I was at this college seminary in St. Paul, Minnesota, and it was a it was an amazing experience. Father Mike and I are both lifers. We went to went to seminary right after uh, high school, which is not the norm, but there's still a lot of guys who do it. And uh, Father John Clockman, who was three years ordained, uh, showed up my second year, and we became fast friends. And he's, mm-hmm. he's been a great father and a brother uh, ever since. And uh, but one time. I should let you tell this story. No, you well, like I, I can tell part of it. You can interject. So he's. I am, I'm looking at him, and I'm like, he looks different today. Yeah, this is the context. It was at Mass. I'm preaching about the Eucharist. And Father John Neppel, then just John Neppel, is looking at me intently, like boring with his eyes at me. And I'm thinking, in my mind, thinking, he's really loving this. <laughs> he's really getting what I'm trying to say here about the Eucharist. He's loving this. And that wasn't it. At all. So you can take it from there. He had flipped his hair. He has a very distinct uh, part and uh, wave. He's got good, solid head of hair. And um, he had just flipped it. And his hair is so German that it ob- <laughs> it obeyed perfectly. And it, he just did the exact same thing. So a guy who had a, had a perfect part on the left, every day I'd ever known him, all of a sudden flipped it and just one day said, we're going, we're going right. And the hair just followed immediately. And it was so overwhelming. I, I was just captivated. So. Yeah, so at the sacristy, he says... Did you flip your hair? Did you flip your hair? I said, I thought you were listening to my, my homily. Yeah. Nope. Nope, nope, nope. Not really. So, But, uh, yeah, we, uh, we are very excited to have you here. It's been super fun for Father Mike and I because uh, Father, Father, I still call him Father Clockman because he's still like my formator. And, like, I didn't shave this morning. And he goes, oh, you're growing a, you're growing a little beard there? And I was like, oh, my gosh. So, Father or when John, I came into your room the first day I arrived. Right. And you're like, you were so embarrassed because you didn't make your bed. Right. right. Which is usually not the case. But, of course, the one time in mm-hmm. my life when you walk in. Yeah. So I got this, like, four-meter living here. But it's, it's been a lot of fun. And uh, we've loved having him here. We're going to be sad when he leaves um, in a couple months. But one of the things he's doing while he's over here is um, he's doing some independent study. So he's kind of doing some different classes. But he's doing a lot of reading. Um, and he's got some interests that we don't know about. Um, and uh, so we asked him to join us tonight and uh, to give us a Vagrius Ponticus. Is that even pronounced like? Yes, that's and, what it is. Uh, so, yeah, we're excited for him to launch into it. And uh, yeah. 
three hours from now, it's going to be great. <laughs> <laughs> I won't go as long. There's not 14 points of uh, Catholic social I know, teaching. Yeah, the 160 points of... Oh, dude. But for Michael, Father Michael's uh, defense, uh, this, uh, my talk today plays off of his on human flourishing mm. and human freedom. So nice. go with that. This all started for me really in about 2005. I was up in... Uh, uh, Ottawa, Canada, with the Sheptetsky Institute for Eastern Christian Studies, Eastern Catholics. <clears throat> and um, I got introduced through my old spiritual director about the Carmelite spirituality, of course, but also, you know, Therese and Teresa of Avila, John and Father Cross. Doug Lourg. Yeah, Father Doug Lurg. Shout out to him uh, in Phoenix, Phoenix Arizona. Arizona. Yeah. Uh, and not to scandalize anybody out there, but his wife, Nancy, he's a, a convert to Catholicism. And not to scandalize anybody, but you were true or false, the uh, president of your fraternity at ASU? I, I was. <laughs> also, yeah, exactly. It's a totally different life. That's right. Yeah, yeah. That Shout was out that. to your fraternity brothers. That's right, which, yeah. Which one were you? Lambda Chi Alpha. Lam- <laughs> <laughs> fraternity president and Rush chairman. Yeah, all sorts of stuff. So anyway, moving on, I got introduced to uh, the Eight Evil Thoughts, basically desert spirituality, and he... Uh, Evagrius Ponticus, in the 4th century, kind of uh, went through the Middle East, principally Egypt, Syria, and other parts of the Middle East, and gathered data from those monks, um, basically men living in, in alone, who wanted to radically follow Jesus Christ and give up everything. And he basically tried to secure from them uh, their knowledge about growing in the life of holiness and imitating Christ. And so that's where this talk on the Eight Evil Thoughts came from. And uh, I give parish missions as one of the things I love to do. And I have about 25 different talks. But for some reason, this one always rises to the top, you know, cream to the top. And people say, oh, we want to hear about the Eight Evil Thoughts. So I'm, I'm kind of shocked that people love it so much. I teach about this on a uh, catechetical Saturday for formation for our lay students at the Archbishop Harry J. Flynn Catechetical Institute. That's also known as the Flynn Institute. Flynn Institute, or CI, if you really <laughs> want to be. <laughs> uh, and I've had a number of people, it's not me patting myself on, my, uh, on the back, as my mother would say, don't break your arm patting yourself on the back. <laughs> it's really people just saying, I, I delineate my life from, the, from before I heard your talk on the eight evil thoughts till after. So for me personally, why well, I have a passion about it is that uh, I can, it's radically changed my life. And it's beautiful. I still have some, you know, I, this is a daily work, of course, but I'm here on this, uh, on this sabbatical here in Rome to study its complement, so really the, the cure uh, would be the, the virtues themselves. So the Eightyville Thoughts are from the Christian East, uh, as we know in the West, the seven capital sins. And so the answer are the virtues, practicing the virtues, and the seven deep longings of the human heart. Obviously, you need grace to do that. It's not on your own. Right? I got a question. Sorry to interrupt. So yeah. fourth century in Egypt, there's a lot going on here. You, mm-hmm. know, you have um, the Alexandrian school uh, beginning in the late sec- third century with Origen and Clement and these guys, and then uh, leading into the... Arian controversy and the Council of Nicaea. Um, so he's in the midst of all of this, right? Mm-hmm. It's that you said fourth century. Yep. And then I believe it's not until the sixth century 
in the West under Gregory the Great where we have the formulation of the seven deadly sins. That's right. So is there a connection? Did he bring that or did somebody else or do you know kind of the connection there? Yes. He's shuffling papers. <laughs> I am shuffling papers because there's an answer to that. Yes. Okay, yeah. I should so have this all memorized because I've know. given this talk ten, uh, many times. By the way, for any of you out there who want a shameless plug, <laughs> want me to do a parish mission, I'm happy to do so. <laughs> it could be two talks to 12 talks. I mean, He's it, really available starting yeah. in February. <laughs> um, actually, you know, in, in Christianity, seven is the number of perfection. And it's also the number of sevening, covenanting. And so seven capital sins we talk about in the West, the seven virtues, the seven sacraments, all these sevens, right? But in the Christian East, they have eight. And so really it was uh, Pope Gregory the Great who combined pride and vainglory, which we'll Mm. talk about in a moment together, and sloth and sadness, or acedia and sadness together. Because he felt that in certain ways, both uh, pride and vainglory had similar effects on the soul, and the same for acedia and sadness. And then he added one called envy. Mm. Okay, the East does not have envy in part of their list. Interesting. Okay, so that's where it all came about. So for you know, for us in the West, this is something totally new. Yeah, eight evil thoughts. I mean, what is all of that about? So. And basically, this comes from in the monastic East, and now I'll just let's just back up for just a moment here. Probably one of the most famous uh, solitary figures in Eastern Christianity was Saint Anthony of the Desert, considered the father of monasticism, and from him the monastic movement began, and it was picked up by Benedict, uh, Cassian, um, and other great saints. And others added to this. So this desert spirituality really is seen, you can see elements of it in um, the spirituality of St. Ignatius of Loyola, who added to it with his uh, 14 uh, principles of discernment of spirits. And we'll talk about logismoi, or thoughts or suggestions. And so he, he Nice pronunciation. Thank you. <laughs> he played on that and built on that and added and contributed greatly to the Western understanding of that. Uh, And so most great monastic uh, uh, religious communities really have their foundation in this desert spirituality. And where it comes from is really basically chapter 4 of Luke's Gospel, where Jesus, after his baptism, went out into the desert for 40 days. And at the end of 40 days, uh, he was tempted by the devil three times. And there's a curious phrase on uh, Luke chapter 4, verse 13, and I'll I'll just... uh, well, I just happen to have it right here. Um, and when the devil had ended every temptation, he departed from Jesus until an opportune time. So what the Christian East believes is that Christian spirituality is a continuation for you and for every listener that's listening. Our spiritual life, our growth in Christ, our imitating of Christ, our growing in the virtues, our growing in holiness, our growing in integration, wholeness, if you want to use all those words simultaneously, are really imitating Christ, uh, his baptism, his purification in the desert, and his fighting against uh, evil temptations, and then proclaiming the gospel he went out and then was transfigured. So Christ himself shows us the journey of the Christian soul, 
and the route it should take from baptism to what we would call active asceticism, where we, you and I fight against temptation. But there's also a thing called passive asceticism, where God does his interior work within us. Hmm. Um, and from there then comes you and I should be freed up then from these asceticism being cleansed, as Jesus would often say, he's interested in cleaning of the inside of the cup or the heart, the inside of the soul, to proclaim the gospel and freedom and being more and more transfigured through the power of the Holy Spirit. So all of this is kind of concurrent and works together. And for people who kind of get it, it's exciting, and they see a roadmap, and they, they want to follow. Uh, but it's really Christ's work within you, his grace won on the cross, becoming empowered by the Holy Spirit and becoming people who are possessed by the Holy Spirit, radiating the Father's glory. So Christian, the Christian East would say, uh, if you want to grow in holiness, you've got to get away from a perfectionism that is too focused on your faults, mm. which sounds counterintuitive to us. Shouldn't I recognize my faults and confess them in the confessional or daily in prayer? Yes, you should. But it's a preoccupation that they're telling you not to fall into. Okay? And what we should desire is, I recognize my faults, I give them over to the Lord, And I let him do his work within me by his grace. And I should live in a static union with him. Allow him to transform me. So hopefully this isn't all too high No, it's not. And it's actually really good. You know, one of the four uh, Catholic stuff uh, hosts is a Byzantine priest, Father Michael O'Loughlin. Ah. Yeah, yeah, I hope you get to meet him. He's a wonderful, phlegmatic sanguine. Uh But uh, we like him nonetheless Mm because he's sanguine. And, uh, but... uh, one of the things that I that he speaks about is divinization, and um, yep. you know that there's basically two understandings um, of how does redemption work. So being redeemed by Jesus, and in the West, we following Anselm, we took a line of justification. Mm-hmm. So you get justified. In the East, it was always this divinization, and so I, well, I like your last comment there about how like. Um, we got to be careful in the West and we need to see the East as a a corrective to this of like, if it gets too legalized about Mm -hmm. my faults and I need to correct my faults and I need to get rid of that versus just this kind of indwelling, um, abiding presence of the Trinity. And Mm -hmm. I think the Eastern fathers in particular kind of can, can help us to, to kind of understand that. You see a lot of, uh, I would totally agree with that. And a lot of the great saints have had, whether it's uh, Francis or St. Ignatius or Teresa of Avila. I mean, Teresa of Avila has this great quote that would say, never stop praying and someday you'll stop sinning. Um, they make it sound so easy, right? Um, but they encountered the Lord, and this is where we can thank some of our Protestant brothers and sisters of about a personal relationship with the Lord. That's true. Catholics have always agreed with that and maybe need to emphasize that more. And that's what we're talking about here. But how much more personal that on a daily mass, you're doing a daily altar call of processing forward and you're saying publicly as you come forward, Lord, I give you my entire self. And what does Jesus say in return to us? I give you my body, blood, soul, and divinity. It's hardly an even exchange. He gets us broken gods. We're being (laughs) divinized to be sharing his divine life. And we get the fullness of him. And talk about intimacy and about a personal relationship. I just don't call on the name of the Lord. I actually consume him. And he desires to dwell within me. That's beautiful. Yeah, I I thought I had was um, that I'm 
I'm impressed by the thought of imitating Jesus in the desert. That's such a short um, moment in the gospel. Mm-hmm. And then you see a lot of Jesus' remarkable work of healing people and doing miracles and preaching truth that really um, speaks to people and transcends like the limitation. He's speaking in parables. He's so creative. He's so mm-hmm. uh, remarkable in his communication. He does all these things. And we talk about the imitation of Christ, but often enough I say, well, how am I supposed to imitate this guy? He was perfect. Mm-hmm. How am I supposed to imitate this guy? He was like so inspired and so holy. And uh, it seems like a window of possibility, mm-hmm. uh, recognizing that there's a possibility to uh, relate to him, to imitate Jesus in his ascetical prayer. And, um, and I think uh, like the possibility of healing and cleansing um, coming from the side of uh, kind of fighting against the temptations of well, I suppose the evil thoughts that are coming. Mm -hmm. I would say this in uh, responding to what you just said. Jesus came to undo the sin of Adam, and Mary participated in that, you know, in submission under the mission of Christ. She was the new Eve. Um, Jesus had a human will. He took on human flesh. So he he had to submit his own human will. I mean, you see that in the, um, the temptation in the garden. Lord, let this, Father, let this cup pass from me, but not my will, but yours be done. On one hand, he saw it as, as his glory, that he was going to be glorified by the Father, the glory he had before he took on human flesh, that he was always in union with the Father, but his human will needed to also submit itself to that divine will. Yeah, that perfect fiat. Mm-hmm. Be it done unto me. Mm-hmm. All right, you better get going, boss. Yeah, I know. You're at I know. 20 minutes, and uh, <laughs> you have not touched zero. You have touched <laughs> none of the eight evil thoughts. So here we go. All right, well, I want to say this that um, the eight evil thoughts, you know, what are they? You know, let me get my notes <laughs> I'm just out. Just loving here. this. I wish they could see this. He's got papers, He's got papers everywhere. Uh, well, you know, they're all good. It's all good stuff. Well, you got a lot. They're my babies. Um, <laughs> not the eight evil thoughts, but these papers. So. Um, some of them you're very familiar with, okay? And the eight evil thoughts, uh, we'll just list them off right now, and then we'll describe them a little bit. How do they manifest themselves? How do I fight against them? Uh, and how do the Eastern Catholics and the Eastern Orthodox, of which we are in union with them on this teaching, uh, teach as well? So the eight evil thoughts, pride, vainglory, which oftentimes we don't hear in the West at all. What's vainglory? We'll talk about that in a moment. Anger or wrath, acedia or sloth, sadness. We never hear about that in the West. Hmm. Gluttony, lust, and avarice or greed. Okay? So the early Christians who went out into the desert, who wanted to live a heroic life, giving all for Christ, God alone, being transfigured into his likeness, started recognizing certain patterns that in their own fight against the temptations of the evil one from Luke chapter 4, that their spirituality was a continuation of the fight of Christ in the desert, and that their, their soul was following the same journey from baptism to asceticism to proclamation of the gospel to transfiguration. That's really the journey of the soul from baptism to being transfigured, you know? And so they started to recognize that 
thoughts have three principal uh, places of origin. Logismoi are thoughts or suggestions, is a Greek work, a Greek word meaning thoughts or suggestions. And good thoughts come from either us or from God. Evil thoughts come from our fallen nature or from the evil one in his, his minions, okay? So not all evil thoughts are necessarily from the devil. Oh, the devil made me do it. No, that's not always the case. Sometimes it's just your fallen human nature, a place where you're weak because of your own personal history or because of maybe your temperament, sanguines or uh, cholerics or melancholics or phlegmatics or tend toward different sins more easily than their other temperament counterparts, okay? I would just add very briefly that I personally find a lot of freedom in prayer just acknowledging that these thoughts are evil and that they're just there. Because mm-hmm. a, a lot of times I feel like I'm like, this shouldn't be there, this is bad, I'm, I'm failing, and this is my like oldest son you know, uh, mentality. Of perfectionism. Like, I, perfectionism, I'm failing in the spiritual life. But to just acknowledge that like we're broken and we have these kind of crazy thoughts, and then there is the existence of Satan, and mm-hmm. these things are evil. And so just the notion of that evil thoughts exist, and that's okay, not that it's good, but that we can just acknowledge the existence mm-hmm. of them, I find that to be like a pretty big and very freeing mm-hmm. experience. It is, because not everything's from you. Exactly. And even the Lord, even if it is from you, it's from your broken self. It's a part of you that's wounded, and God wants to heal. So you notice when I talked about Luke chapter 4, verse 13, and the devil waited for another opportune moment. If he's going to do that with Christ, do you think you and I are free from that, uh, him uh, soliciting us or looking for an opportune moment with us? He sees you in a moment of stress, a place of weakness. You're isolating yourself from your friends and family. You're stressed out. You're not sleeping well. These are just all, there's an old adage in the spiritual life, halt. If you're hungry, angry, lonely, or tired, watch out. You're ready for sin. You're going to look for some kind of consolation. And the devil knows that. Now, he can't read your mind. You want to say that to people because this is often a question I get in parish missions. Can demons read our minds? No, but they observe you. And sometimes they know you better than you know yourself. And that's one of the things that John Paul II warned Christians in the West about is materialism what he meant by that is not just the accumulation of things, it's part of that, but being so preoccupied and busy that we don't take time to be be contemplative. I don't know why I do what I do. I never bring it to prayer. I don't ask the Father to bring enlightenment, right? And so, basically... The devil looks for an opportune moment, you know, and sometimes we can maybe all relate to this, maybe not, but say you're doing taxes. It's not a very sexy subject, right? <laughs> uh, you're stressed out, though, you know, you, the deadline's coming and you're working through all these receipts and, um, and uh, all of a sudden these lewd thoughts come to your mind. Well, what you're working on isn't sexual in nature. So why are you having sexual thoughts? Well, you're stressed out. Okay, yeah. But why that? Or maybe anger comes about, or being um, gluttonous about something, maybe intemperate with alcohol while you're doing your taxes. Something presents itself to give you a false consolation. And he's just basically, as my old spiritual director, Father Doug Lurg, would say, he's going out fishing, the devil is. He has a little bait at the, uh, on a hook, 
little bobber and he plops it in front of your face, sees if you're going to nibble, if you're going to take the, the bait. If you're wise, you're going to know what you're susceptible to and you're going to resist it. Not just on your own will, but your will aided by grace. So let me just say this. Um, how do these thoughts oftentimes manifest themselves? We're talking about the eight evil thoughts. So usually unsolicited, like the example I just gave. I'm doing taxes. I'm not thinking about some, I don't know, swimsuit issue, whatever. <laughs> All right? They're unsolicited thoughts, but if you permit them to remain, they form into feelings. Hmm. And if feelings are attended to by you, they coalesce into desires. And the desires evolve and arouse the passions, the eight evil thoughts, to eventually that your soul is led to the question, will you consent? So you can see how there's a buildup here. And so what the early fathers of the church would say, how do you fight against these eight evil thoughts? First, you need to recognize them early, often, and consistently, and to resist them. I recognize when it first starts. It starts as an unsolicited thought. And most of the time, sometimes you, you and I can be um, not aware that we're even caught thinking about these things. It's like we're in this fog, you know? This is a, that's a very interesting insight. I, I often, with directees, will talk about acknowledging your interior, the interior movements, you know, thoughts, feelings, desires. IPF talks a lot about mm-hmm. this, this yep. institute where we've worked with. But I've never seen that connection between the movement from thought to feelings, to desires. desires because the desire, passions. you're right, that's the thing that's going to really stir the passion. So. And so what the evil one does is he, he is attacking a number of things. He's attacking first your identity as a beloved son or daughter in, in God, um, uh, by God the Father. He's attacking where you're gifted. Vatican II talks about constant teaching of the church, but Vatican II kind of resurrected it and reemphasized it again for, again for us that Every person who's baptized into Christ has gifts of the Holy Spirit to build up the kingdom of God. A lay person in the pew, the priest who's preaching, the, the bishop, the archbishop, the cardinals, the pope. Okay, We all have gifts to work in collaboration with one another, not in competition. He doesn't want your gifts to be made manifest. He doesn't want your identity to be matured. Okay? This is the devil. <laughs> Satan. Yeah. Okay. This is Satan. And he wants Sorry. you to remain wounded. So he'll play on your woundedness. You're no good. You're never going to accomplish that. He'll bring up old wounds in your life. And this is where uh, Clement of Alexandria would talk about. He says there's two aspects to repentance. And I really want people to hear this because sometimes we remain here. He said, first of all, in repentance, you need to turn away from your sin. But the second aspect is many of us don't even follow to turn away from preoccupation with our past sin. Hmm. It's one thing to remember, I did these things, and I have to be aware that I'm susceptible to them. That's one thing. But that's not what Clement of Alex- St. Clement of Alexandria is talking about. I'm so preoccupied with it that I remain there. That becomes my identity, and the evil one will play on that. You're no good. This is who you are. God doesn't love you. No one, no one accepts you. Everyone overlooks you. He, he continues to fester your woundedness to get you to look for a false consolation, which we call sin. 
And that's when he gets you enough that he introduces these unsolicited thoughts. And you're going to be susceptible because you're looking for consolation, develops into feelings, desires, and then the passions are fully aroused. And by that time, when you say, God help me, your will is so given over to this passion and your intellect is so darkened that all you can see, as Psalm 36 says, is sin. That's all you want. Now, there's a number of things that we can do. And just in case anybody out there is thinking, if you would be so kind as to give me a, um, two paragraphs here. Okay? I'm not, I'm not keeping the watch, but I would like to hear the list. Okay, all right, we'll get know, there. I want to know about sadness. All right, sounds good. All right. I just want to. We'll get there. I want to go to bed tonight at some point. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Well, I love this quote from um, St. Augustine, and it talks about Logismoi, and you can see where he's fighting. This great, great mind of the early church, right? And this is from uh, the Confessions. And uh, so this is a quote from Augustine. He says, I was held back by mere trifles the most paltry inanities, all my old attachments. You could say that old sins, old wounds, old desires that were disordered, that God wants to reorder and transfigure. They plucked at my garment of flesh and whispered. Remember, logismoi are thoughts or suggestions. They whispered to him, Are you going to dismiss us? From this moment, we shall never be with you again forever and ever. From this moment, you will never be allowed to do this thing or that forevermore. These voices no longer barred my way, blatantly contradictory, but their muttering seemed to reach me from behind as though they were stealthily plucking at my back, trying to make me turn my head away when I wanted to go forward. Yet in my state of indecision, they kept me from tearing myself away, from shaking myself free of them and leaping across the barrier to the other side where you, my God, were calling me. So I want to point out some one thing right here. Are these good logismoi or evil? What do you think, Father John? They sound John? pretty bad. They're evil, yeah. exactly. Bing, 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 you get it right. <laughs> and you notice how they, 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 they feed into his fear. From this moment or that, you'll never be able to do this if you leave us. Right. But they're actually fearful. They don't want him to leave. They don't want him to be converted. They don't want him to be transfigured in Christ. And he realized that they were contradictory, but they still had a hold on him. Okay? So they were... They were playing on his fears, and they're negative. Now, another. But by now I had turned my eyes elsewhere, and while I stood trembling at the barrier, on the other side I could see the chaste beauty of countenance and all her serene, unsullied joy as she modestly beckoned me to cross over and to hesitate no more. She stretched out loving hands to welcome and embrace me, holding up a host of good examples to my sight, With her were countless boys and girls, great numbers of the young and people of all ages. And in their midst was countenance herself, not barren, but a fruitful mother of children of joys born of you, O Lord, her her spouse. She smiled at me to give me courage, as though she were saying, Can you not do what these men and women do? Do you think that they find the strength to do it in themselves and not in the Lord their God? Why do you try to stand in your own strength and fail? Cast yourself upon God and have no fear. He will not let you shrink away and let you fall. Cast yourself upon him without fear, and he will welcome you and cure you, cure you of all your ills. Now, are these good or 
evil. This is good. They're good. Yeah. And notice how they play. They give, they give encouragement, courage. They show possibilities, hope for a future, right? Right. The other is restrictive. All right? Accusation. Yeah. And so these play on us, and they, again, play on our past woundedness, maybe our own decisions of sins in the past, the weaknesses of our own temperament, or maybe our family life history, um, um, and our fears. Uh, and they even will play on good desires, but they distort them. I've been reading a book. May I say the... You can. I want to, in, in, in the uh, speaking about encouragement here, I want to encourage you to say you have 10 minutes left. All right, awesome. <laughs> so, Great. 10 minutes. All right. But you got to get... He wants to know about the eight right. evil thoughts. Okay. <laughs> so, <laughs> I've been reading a book called Broken Gods, Healing, Hope, and the Seven Longings of the Human Heart by uh, Gregory Popcheck. He's a Catholic psychologist, I believe, um, that we're broken gods. We're actually called to be divinized, that we're sons and daughters of God the Father. Okay? And our desires say, for instance, lust. We're talking about the seven capital sins. He goes through that. He talks about the seven desires of the human heart and the seven capital virtues, uh, which, you know, are... You know, charity and the others that we go through, right? <laughs> the others. Well, yeah, well, of course, we know what those are. Yeah. 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 The, the three uh, uh, theological virtues and the four human virtues. Anyway, and how they all play together. But if a person is falling into lust quite a bit or pornography, they're actually looking for communion. It's a deep desire of the human heart, but the evil one distorts it and tries to keep you at a place of woundedness just to lust and not to seek real, true, authentic communion. So a person, when I talk about these eight evil thoughts now and define them and how they manifest themselves, um, you, do, you would do the best to do this, is that when you find yourself tempted by them or they present themselves to you and you resist them, um, early, often, and consistently, as the fathers of the church would say. You do not let them take root. You, you banish them in the name of Jesus. You bring it to prayer and ask, Father, why, why was I desiring this? And let God the Father show you that maybe in your childhood there was a place of um, deep uncommunion and where it was disordered, where you're wounded. And he wants to heal with his grace. He wants to bring you healing. But too often, many of us try to just go to confession, confess our sins if we go, and then move on. And we don't look at the deeper, true, genuine human desires that God planted in our heart to divinize us. He wants us to have communion with him, right? Mike's got another right, question. I think that's interesting, just about the, um, the possibility of looking at the past. The way that Augustine's quotes... Um, kind of set up the time frame made me think this the graces will always insist on uh looking forward in hope uh, so that you're not looking back mm -hmm. you're not looking at you but i've wondered um well what about like self-knowledge and recognizing your past what about healing from the past what about mm -hmm. being honest about where you've been and god's walking with us in in the grace and i think you've just answered that which is it's not it's not that god would never bring up um th memories from the past even if they're difficult 
but that there's a different spirit there and that God mm-hmm. wants to heal those and get, bring hope and peace and um, resolution to, to the things of the past rather than discourage us and say, you've always been this mm-hmm. way or you're broken and or you always remember will be. this trauma or whatever it is. So it's not simply that uh, look, looking at the past is looking back and going back in our spiritual life, but yeah. it can be helpful to resolve things if mm-hmm. we're there with God. But we got to watch out for that discouragement and um, the voice of the. Evil Everything you said, yeah, is accurate and correct. And so, it's. I would say one of the key words would be, you don't want to be preoccupied with your past and remain there. As Saint Clement of Alexandria said, you know, John of the Cross says, God never revisits a sin twice. I would add a caveat to that. I think he can revisit a sin. He may desire to do so if he desires to bring us deeper self knowledge an understanding of why we did what we did, maybe to unveil to us, to illuminate a wound in our life that he wants to heal, to bring us freedom. But that's, that's a place of hope, and that's looking forward, as you said. It's not remaining in the past preoccupied with it. So let's look at the eight evil thoughts. Um, and uh, a lot of the fathers of the church, uh, at least over from the early centuries up to, this is still a line of, especially in the East, a line of spirituality uh, in the Christian East. Um, But they have a way of defining them, so I'll I'll use some of their definitions. I don't want to get overly technical here. But pride uh, is to, basically, let me get into my notes. (laughs) Your babies. I know. You have eight evil evil minutes to describe the eight evil thoughts. (laughs) You know what, I, I, I'll say this at the end. Remind me of what the fathers, how they categorize people. Okay. Yikes. Okay. The eight evil thoughts. So pride is the first. Uh, it's usually the root of the others. Pride is an affliction of the soul or a preoccupation with self. Mm. I'm the object in pride. That's the sin. Not God, me. Okay. Vainglory is an affliction of the soul a preoccupation of what others may think of me. So some people confuse that. Uh. But the object with vainglory is others. What does Mike, or what do the people here listening to this think of me right now? Right. Is this good enough for them? You know, that would be vainglory speaking. Oh, I may not be good enough, you know. Um, so pride and vainglory, sometimes people confuse with each other, but they're distinct on their object. Yeah, that Self is, yeah. versus others. Anger, some of these are very self-evident. Anger is an affliction of the soul, being preoccupied to boil up or stir up wrath against one who has given us injury or is thought to have done so, you know? And maybe it's something that really happened in your past, but all you're doing is regurgitating it and ruminating over it again and again. You're remaining in the past. St. Clement told us don't remain in the past. Even Paul talked about it in Philippians 3. One thing I do, I move on to what is ahead. You know? Um, <clears throat> and so, the idol there oftentimes is control. I want to control this person, what they did to me. You know? I have a sense of uh, feeling angered, uh, self-righteous. Okay? Um, so a person needs to distinguish when they feel this uh, there is righteous anger. That's over a, an injustice done. That's a moral injustice. But this is talking about that 
you're, it's an overreaction. Because someone may have injured you unknowingly. And you're defaming them and their good reputation to other people. What gives you the right to do that? That's sinful. You may not know that you're doing that. And God takes that into account. Number four is Acadia. Um, some say Acadia <laughs> or Acadia, I think it is. Uh, or what we would call in the West, sadness. Have, but you, it, have you seen that book? It just came out, Ignatius, <laughs> The Noonday Devil. Yes. It's good. I have it. I haven't read it. Okay. So, yeah. Yeah, I'm too lazy to go through it. I, I was going to say, I kept falling asleep reading it, and I was like, this is a bad sign. So, yeah. so it's quite good. It's on this topic, and he talks about the shift of Achadia between the East and the West when it gets, you know. Mm-hmm. Yes, in the West we talk about sloth, but it's much more than that. Yeah. It's not laziness yeah. in and of itself. It, it does deal with laziness, yes, but Achadia is an affliction of the soul around motivation or an intention to follow through. And because we lack that intention, uh, we lack satisfaction. We feel despondent, numb. And I would say to some people, if you're, if acedia is one of your problems, the one thing you don't do is spend a lot of time in front of the television or being on the internet or looking at YouTube videos and all these things because that just feeds into acedia. Okay. Also, acedia is a temptation to remain satisfied with the level of holiness where I'm at. That's with a more subtle form. Or to discontinue the path to virtue. I'll just turn around. Because no one else around me is living this life of holiness. Why am I doing it? You know? So that can be different forms of acedia. Uh, sadness, uh, dejection. Mike was interested in this. An affliction... <laughs> Of the soul due to deprivation of one's desires mm. or pleasures. So it's, I would call it self-pity. Woe is me, mm-hmm. you know. Um, now there are people, if you wallow in sadness, it can develop into forms of depression. But not all depressions are the evil thought of sadness. Because right. there are chemical imbalances that some people suffer from that leads to depression. Right. It makes sense. A good distinction. Yeah. This is a logismoi. You know, um, you're not good enough. This is where you can see where woundedness is played on quite a bit. I've been doing spiritual direction, challenging people to know your desires. Yeah. Do you even know the desires of your heart? Mm Mm-hmm. Because that's that's kind of like, no, you know, Mm -hmm. and and that's where the sadness a lot of times can get in there, so... Well, this book on, on brokenness, page 34, I just happen to have it there. Uh, let me go to it right away. Flip over one minute. You know. um, it doesn't really talk about sadness, but I put it under envy. would be a desire, for my, uh, a desire of human dignity, that I am noticed and loved, right. that what, I have something to contribute, and others recognize that. And one of the remedies of the virtue is to be a person of kindness, to encourage other people's giftedness, mm. so that you're not just wallowing in your own. Mm. You know, um, the next uh, number six is gluttony or intemperance. We talk about it's an affliction of the soul to give up asceticism. It's not a very popular word in the West. Asceticism. I'll talk about that in just a moment, very briefly. Maybe. <laughs> uh-huh. 
Uh, to give up asceticism in short order, even in small desires, whether it's food or drink, and sometimes it's to be preoccupied with one's health. Um, you know, in under gluttony, St. Thomas says there's a second type of gluttony. There's gluttony of overeating, overdrinking, maybe even over-talking like this podcast. So, uh, Or the one before mine. Oh. Uh, <laughs> but St. Thomas talks about a second one. That talks about um, of gluttony called studiosis or studiose, studiose, the tendency to be overly fussy, particular, or precious about what we eat. It's huh. so almost like you know, I mean, are you inconvenience others? You can lack charity. Oh, I don't eat that. It's like those gluten free people, don't you think? <laughs> Shut up. <laughs> <laughs> Some of us have to stay away from that stuff. Okay. Um, number seven is lust. You know, that's an affliction of the soul to lust, to covet bodies. That's kind of an obvious one. And the idol there really is preoccupied with sex or relationships. You know, there can be a certain like covetedness of friendships. I had to be the center of attention. Right, right. Maybe I wouldn't call it lust, but it can be can maybe a, a contributor kind of to like grasping at yeah. relationships. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And number eight is avarice or greed. It's an affliction of the soul of concern or shame over potential future outlooks or worry over things. So like lust, which is to covet bodies, avarice is to covet things. And the idol there is to be preoccupied with security, health, or wealth. So in 2008, when a lot of people lost 40% of their 401ks, they should be properly worried about that. But if you're preoccupied with it, that... You know, can I regain this wealth? You know, that is leading to ill health for you, sickness, other uh, um, forms of sin in your life, of over-drinking, anger in the family, you know, being uncharitable to your, to your children, not being available. Those are things you got to keep in check. Mm. I mean, the church would say, listen, yeah, you want to be uh, safe for the future and uh, be someone who is prudent. But greed is, a, again, the, the operative words here are like an affliction or a preoccupation of all these things, okay? Now, the early church would say that, and I love this, in the West sometimes we talk about that um, people, and, and we're right in saying this, people are sinners or saints, you know? The scripture talks in those terms, holy, unholy. But the East has a, a way, I think this is a little bit more relational, and I want to present that to the listeners, because we might might find ourselves a friends or family that we know that falls into one of the, in fact they will fall into one of these three categories when it comes to the eight evil thoughts. So the fathers don't categorize people as moral or immoral, good or bad, on the va- basis of moral laws. Um, they differentiate humanity into three categories: those who are in need of healing, those who are being healed is number two, and those who are healed. And let me just repeat that. Those who are in need of healing, those are people who haven't even entered into uh, even looking at their own woundedness. They'll say that, well, this is just the way I am. you got to deal with it. You know, I'm a wrathful person. I get easily excited about things. I'm lustful. I, I'm a ladies' man. You know, they excuse themselves. They really haven't honestly looked at who they are. They haven't brought their own weaknesses or brokenness to God in his grace. They lack self-knowledge, and they're, they're sick in soul. Okay, And people who are sick in soul can often be sick in body. 
So those who are in need of healing, those who are being healed, oftentimes that's most of us in the church. We're at various different levels, stratas of being healed. And those who are healed, we'll call uh, living saints. We know people like that. They're free in Christ. They live in freedom. They're, they're, they're on that road to divinization. They've gone through the ascetical life. They face themselves honestly. They've been illuminated by grace. They're growing in self-knowledge. And they've given themselves over to Christ so much so that they're living in a life of union or communion with God, some form or taste of that. Those are the people that we look at and like, we just scratch our head like, how did, how did they get there? Right. Well, what I presented here in this brief time that yes. Father John has given me <laughs> is a roadmap to do so. Yeah. And all the great spiritualities in the church rooted in sacred scripture and proven to bring about great saints have been rooted in the desert spirituality. Bam. Well done. done. You just dropped. Yeah, you, got, <laughs> you, you landed the plane. Well done. Whew, this is my first time, peeps. You did it, <laughs> peeps. No, you did a great job. You know, 13 years ago, when when I first heard you preach, I one of the things I was struck by was I I've always thought he's a great teacher, and uh, so you demonstrated that today. This is, you covered a lot of ground and uh, and did a good job, and so uh, this is wonderful to hear. And so I'm going to do two shout outs and then you got a, sh- a chance to do your shout outs on wow, Mike okay. who doesn't have any, never does. And then we got <laughs> we got to wrap this thing up because if we go over an hour, we'll never hear the end of it from Global. Okay. All right. Kevin and Mary, um, Kevin Barry and Mary, uh, oh, I'm forgetting. It's one of these crazy Italian last names, Zagarella, um, something like a Scaparella, but they, they are getting married on Saturday. And, uh, so this is coming out a couple weeks late. So, Kevin and Mary uh, Barry, I'm sorry uh, to do this late, but congratulations on your wedding, and uh, and uh, we wish you go procreate recklessly, as our priest friends say. And then Father Michael Dion, like Lion, who's here, his sister listens in Seattle. So Maria, thanks for listening. So that's that. I'll give a shout out to a few people. A couple in Arizona, a good friends of mine, brings us back to uh, when Father John uh, made fun of me in a skit. <laughs> My friends Nikki and Eric Westby in yep. uh, Phoenix, Arizona, and uh, Father Doug Lorg and his wife Nancy, great mentors of mine and really a second spiritual father. Uh, I'd like to thank Archbishop Hebda for this opportunity, along with Monsignor Callahan and Bishop Cousins of the Archdiocese of St. Paul, Minneapolis, give me this opportunity to be here in uh, this sabbatical, and Father Jeff Hewitt, who is a great mentor as well. Nice. And I want to shout out uh, Father Matt Henry and Father Dave Nix, uh, two of my favorite priests and friends. And I want to thank you for your uh, great priestly hearts and ministry. I'd like to thank also (laughs) all the little people out there. No, Daryl and Mary Neppel who are coming into town. Coming into town. And they have adopted me as a member of the family. So I am. They have a lot of adopted children. They do. But you're. You're, you're their favorite. You want to hear that. So, you know, 48 <laughs> hours from now, they'll be in Rome. Okay, thanks for a great podcast, and uh, happy Thanksgiving. We'll be uh, in Turkey. We'll be in Turkey. Enjoy your Thanksgiving. Enjoy your turkey, and uh, we'll see you in, in Advent. CatholicStuffPodcast at gmail.com. Give them the turkey sound, Mike. <laughs>